This is, this is fine. 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 This is a poor substitute for therapy, but an excellent substitute for other podcasts. We're not like other podcasts. Join us as we find the answers to the universe's biggest questions like, is butter a carb? Does crying burn calories? And what the fuck am I doing with my life? We're here to be your part-time therapist, astrologer, concierge doctor, and fairy godmother. Do you need someone to validate you today? Cool, cool, cool. Come on in. We're fine. This is fine. Hey, happy holidays, fam. Half of my personality is Christmas time, and usually I begin getting in the spirit on October 1st, but I've been really practicing some patience and delaying that until midnight on November 1st because I'm in a growth mindset and really working on myself. Anyway, today's episode has literally nothing to do with the holidays, but I'm just in the spirit and I want to share that energy. Go get a gingerbread latte and think of me while you sip it, in a non-creepy way, of course. Moving on, I hope you're fine. I hope you're actually fine and not sitting in your kitchen while the house around you is on fire. (laughs) To be honest, I haven't been 100% fine, particularly when it comes to my hormonal health and not to like unload on you or anything, but we're going to be talking about that more today. Women's hormones, hormone health, and menstrual health are huge topics in the wellness world right now and frankly in general, which is great to see given that it's yet another part of our everyday lives that was made to be such a taboo. Given that all humans have hormones, More than half of us on the planet menstruate, and about 10% of us or more have PCOS. This feels like a pretty far-reaching, in fact, universal topic. This is probably extremely unhinged, but I brought in my own OBGYN on the show today to talk about all of those things, hormonal health, including imbalances, menstrual health, and PCOS. She has known me since I was a teenager and has helped me navigate some serious health challenges, but is also simply a brilliant physician, surgeon, and expert in this field. Dr. Katherine Marshall, MD, board-certified OBGYN. She did her internship and residency at USC, by the way, a fight on. She's known for her laparoscopic surgery skills and is a member of the Scripps Minimally Invasive Robotic Surgery Program. Because she is such a wealth of knowledge, we're going to break up this interview into two episodes. Today, we'll go over Hormones 101 and the concept of hormone balancing. What does it mean to balance hormones? Next, We'll get into the episode with more specific questions from listeners, including questions on hormonal birth control, cycle syncing workouts, fertility, and more. Okay, welcome, Dr. Marshall. Thank you so much for being here with us in the studio today. So excited to have someone here with me in this room. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to educate our listeners and chat through some questions and concerns. We always like to start out the episode by a little check-in. Are you fine today? Very fine. (laughs) Okay, good. We started out with some uh, Stella Snuggles. I feel like that always puts people in a good spot. Oh, for sure. Oxytocin. (laughs) Talk about hormones. Right? Yes. That's a good one. Oxytocin. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue, actually. Well, I guess before we get into those specific hormones, (laughs) speaking of a perfect segue, let's actually talk about how you got into your field. Like, what drew you into women's health? Yeah. I actually was a history major in college. I didn't know that. And I did the pre-med prerequisites, but I I actually did a lot of sort of um, women's history as an undergrad, sort of accidentally, and also because it was absolutely fascinating, this secret history of, you know— women's cooking and witches and what a broomstick really was and things like that. And I didn't realize I was sort of headed on that trajectory. I got into medical school and I thought I'd be a pediatrician or a cardiologist because I loved cardiology, the whole physiology and things like that. But I think in life, you kind of do what you're good at and you get the positive feedback and then you end up going in that direction. And for me, even though I was sort of a very shy person when it came to women's health and not a obviously vocal person, you know, interested in that, it was sort of where I landed in medical school. My first delivery, delivering a baby, you know, as a third year, you know, I broke down in sobs. It was like the most amazing experience. And so I kind of thought, yeah, this is, this is the right way to go. 
That's so, incredible. Yeah. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> Literally, yeah. history, women's history. <laughs> it, it is. That is so, I actually didn't know that, and which is funny because I feel like we've had so many chats over the years. So yeah. you learn something new every day about people you care about. This is great. Well, and I, you know, I also want to put out there, I know, you know, a lot of people feel like they have to do super biology and super scientific backgrounds to get into medicine. But we're lucky in the United States, you know, with the four-year colleges, we have a chance to sort of broaden our horizons. And, um, you know, a a lot of people going to medical school are, you know, psych majors or, you know, history or journalism. You know, there were... uh, all over the all over the field. So that's so I actually didn't know that. I mean, obviously, yeah. I didn't go the medical school track. I think I probably told you I was in neuroscience for like fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I can't do blood. Bye. Uh, that's how we ended up here. <laughs> what could have been? But I love that you have that historical background. I think it adds what I imagine a lot of context into how you practice. Yes, yeah. So I mean, cool. I think, yeah, it's helpful. To be able to pull in context, yeah. like you said, and uh, to have other, you know, resources um, in journalism and whatnot that that in history that that help understand things like hormones. Right. Okay. Yeah. So perfect. Let's get into those hormones. I bring this up because for context for people listening, this is a really big topic right now on social media. And especially within women's health, there's a lot of ambiguity, especially when it comes to hormones. And I guess there's ambiguity not even just on social media. I think that not a ton of people know a ton about hormones. And hormones aren't just your sex hormones, your female hormones. Let's talk about the difference between the sex hormones and then I think, is it 50-ish hormones in the human body, like the rest of them? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well... I'm I'm most interested in the female hormones, of course, and, yes, and the the big ones that 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 come into play with puberty and and you know the different phases of of the woman's life. There's, you know, we sort of divide up the hormones into you know chemically, you know, biochemically. What are they? Are they the peptide hormones? Or are they the steroid hormones? Obviously, you know, steroids. They're derived from cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you can't be on a zero cholesterol, you know, diet when you're a child and, ex, you know, and have good levels of steroids. And right. so... In order to <clears throat> grow. Exactly. Okay. Your brain needs them. They're, they're really essential. Um, so... Uh, Essentially, I'm I'm most interested in the hormones that come from the ovary, right? Um, in in women um, that uh, sort of get turned on by the hypothalamus, which is part of the brain, and the pituitary gland, which is also in the brainstem. And so there are these you know triggers that happen, and basically peptide hormones from the hypothalamus go to the pituitary and then they trigger a cascade from the pituitary hormones LH and FSH mm-hmm. luteinizing hormones exactly. follicular stimulating hormones exactly <laughs> okay. so these pulses from the brain hypothalamus then turn that on and then the FSH and LH turn on the ovary okay and there there's a certain diurnal variations in in the way things, the pulses, and there's basically a systemic hormone like this acts not just, not on just from one organ to the next, but all the way, all the way across the whole. Like the rest uh, of the body. The rest of the body, exactly. Okay. So, you know, you go through puberty, you start to have estrogen levels rise, ovulation starts to be triggered, and you start to get menstrual cycles. Right. And naturally, we have estrogen and progesterone made by our ovaries. There are several different types of estrogens. The one that's the most important and the most active is called estradiol. Diol is two. There's also one called estrone, and there's one called estriol. Wow. Um, Okay. So there's, (laughs) like, wait, I got to take those. That's just estrogens, right? (laughs) Estradiol, estrone. Uh And what was the other one? Estriol. Estriol. And that's under estrogen. Yes. Okay. So they all stimulate estrogen receptors, but to varying degrees. Okay. Estrone's sort of the naughty one that (laughs) that actually is made in adipose. People think, Oh. oh, you know... 
you know, my fat just sits there, but actually it creates estrone. Wow. And this is, um, we think, part of some of the having abnormal hormonal things go on is that if you have too much of this estrone, okay, you can have increased risks of things like um, in your lifetime of uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, breast cancer, okay, and that it's it can have adverse effects on fertility as well. Wow. Would the inverse be true if you don't have enough adipose tissue, it could affect your cycle because you don't have enough estrone? Yes. And again, that gets to the cholesterol and you need okay. sort of like the basic building blocks to make those hormones. Right. So it if sounds like it's in like a delicate balance at exactly. all times. <laughs> if you're very severely caloric restricted, like in anorexia, yes, there will be problems with the maturation of that hypothalamus pituitary ovarian access. Okay. If you're, let's say, in a worn-torn place and you're not getting calories, it's it may be very protective to have your ovulation turn off. Right. You certainly don't want to get pregnant in the middle of, you know, an emergency and things like that. So, right. So it is um, sort of a self-preservation thing as well. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking of so many different things of like over-exercise or stress and how that, you know, obviously all of those things impact a myriad of hormones, this might be one of them that could directly impact your, I'm guessing, fertility or cycle, et cetera. Right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. That being said, it it takes, you know, it takes quite a bit of exercise to, you know, make these problems. There are plenty of elite athletes who have absolutely normal cycles. Good to but, know. But if you are, um, you know, an athlete with not very regular cycles, you know, although the low hormones may be very sort of egocentric, may be like, you know, enjoyable, et cetera, long term, some of the high school athletes who are exercising so much that they're not getting their cycles may have issues with lower bone mass, lower, you know, things like that. Okay. Um, and then sometimes it can carry on to issues with uh, fertility down the line if that hypothalamic, pituitary, ovarian axis is like not sort of given the juice it needs during adolescence okay. and early adulthood. Interesting. And so that's stuff that, you know, a patient or an individual may not even be aware of by the time they make it to your office. Yeah, I've had patients come in and they're so offended that they were told to gain, you know, five or 10 pounds mm -hmm. when they were trying to get pregnant on their pregnant journey and yeah. things like that. And it's, it's not a you know, social judgment. It's it has to do with your health, helping your yeah. health, and helping, like I said, um, have the right amount of hormones. We're kind of mostly on the other end of that, though, where we're sort of overfed in our society right now, mm -hmm. and so it's a tightrope to walk to yeah. be to exercise. You know, without doing it too too excessively, right. and to restrict your calories, but not too too much. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw this meme. I'll have to send it to you. It's one of my favorites. It's like, never eat sugar. It's so bad for you, but also your brain needs it. And drink water, but not too much. And walk, but don't run. But actually run because you need to burn calories, but not too many calories. And I feel like right. that's like again, we keep coming back to this very delicate balance. Like our bodies are in of a delicate balance at all times and specifically with hormones, which I think is perhaps what's feeding into this whole trend that I've been seeing a lot of on social media, the term balancing your hormones. Yes. And I feel like that is a very, very broad term, especially because as we pointed out just a bit ago, there are many hormones in your body. The people who are speaking to this topic don't necessarily indicate what they're talking about. They may infer that they're talking about estrogen, progesterone, LH, FSH, but other hormonal imbalances can cause things that have nothing to do with women's reproductive health. I mean, everything has something to do with something, but I'm talking like you can get diabetes from a hormonal imbalance. You can get hyperthyroidism from a hormonal imbalance. There are a lot of other hormones that have nothing to do with this particular topic, but it's been kind of woven into the menstrual health and women's health narrative. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is a really important thing to clarify from a medical perspective that hormone balance is pretty general, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so from a broad endocrine, you know, um, 
view. When someone says that they fixed their diet and balanced hormones, a lot of times I'm thinking they got their insulin levels Ah, under control. Which is a hormone. Which is a peptide hormone Mm -hmm. made in the pancreas. Okay. And uh, it's it's an important one. We need it for sure. But the problem is when, when you have foods with very high glycemic indexes, basically they um, shoot the sugar up really fast. I'm looking at my yogurt bowl with like fruit and honey in it right now. I'm like, yeah. You know, but, but fruit is okay. Honey honey is probably, yeah. It's like a nice sugar, right? <laughs> They're natural sugars, yeah. you know, for sure. But, you know, eating an apple that actually has like you know, lower glycemic index and a lot of other foods. But the berries are also, you know, very good that way. And basically, um, you know, a Krispy Kreme, which, you know, once in a while is like so delightful. (laughs) What it does is it makes your insulin spike like crazy. Right. And insulin is is one of these um, hormones that basically tells our body to do things we don't want. Like it says, oh my gosh, we got to, you know, store some fat. Right. Um, you're like, so no, thank you. <laughs> if you're, I mean, if all, you know, believe it or not, if you, all you were to eat, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not just calories in, calories out. It has to do with what those calories do to your hormone oh, levels. the instructions they're giving. Exactly. Wow. So if you eat an apple, you're not putting out a lot of insulin. And so your body is going to have a better hemostasis. It's going to not send the signal to like, oh my God, store lots of fat. Yeah. It's going to say, let's, you know, burn this nicely. Yeah. And when you eat something really, you know, a dessert, essentially your liver gets the, you know, instructions from insulin to store. And so you could have, you know, a 900 calorie diet and be gaining weight if you're eating, you know, high that type of glycemic calorie. index kind of foods. Wow. I, I don't know why your description just made me think of like people you invite over to your house for a party and like some of your guests are going to be really nice and like polite and respectful and everyone kind of has that like messy friend and like sometimes they're a really good time but every once in a while they like mess up your house. Right. <laughs> That's what this all just reminded me of. Right. Really strange metaphor but I'm just sharing yeah, it in case that it, resonates. <laughs> sure. I mean insulin is absolutely life-saving for people's right. pancreas Especially, yes, especially, you know, the type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune, usually follows an enterovirus infection, you know, so a flu-like diarrhea, like kind of, you know, fecal oral virus. Wow. And then your immune system attacks your your islet cells in your pancreas. And for these people, they don't make any insulin. And without modern insulin, they would die. Right. So, you know, this is absolutely, it should be free. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get us started. <laughs> On the other hand, yeah. too much insulin for many, many years causes type 2 diabetes. Wow. Again, so, the delicate balance we keep exactly. going back to. Yep. And they need insulin to, you know, after a while, their islet cells are so burnt out from making, and also their end tissues, because of all the insulin it's had, doesn't respond to the insulin quite the same way. Yes, it'll store the fat, but it doesn't drop the sugar levels down. So, you know, literally your red blood cells have like little hard sugar crystals on it, you know, irritating the walls of your blood vessels and, you know, causing inflammation and things like that. So your body becomes sort of a junkie for the insulin in in a case like that. It's like this vicious cycle where you have more and more insulin and and then you're gaining more and more weight and you're also, uh, you know, becoming more and more um, insulin resistant. And so you need more and more of this insulin. So, you know, the newest medications are helping people get rid of, you know, adipose and really focusing on, you know, bringing down uh, the insulin levels. Would that be something like metformin? That's a really wonderful old-fashioned one. The newer ones like Saxenda, most people who use them, they'll lose weight because of the way that the they're engineered. Wow. Which is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's... They're still newish medications. Right. You know, and so we're kind of waiting think, to see how things yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At any rate, insulin is a very important hormone yeah. to balance. And that's the number one thing, I think, if you get those levels under control, a lot of the other sex hormones will come. Right. There is like better. a link, right? There's a link between insulin and your sex hormones? Yes. How does that work? 
Good question. <laughs> in like 30 seconds. <laughs> Good question. Right. We, I mean, metformin, which is a medicine mm-hmm. that sort of kind of makes the insulin that you have last longer, kind of like Prozac makes your serotonin last longer. Right. Like a reuptake inhibitor. Exactly. Okay, got it. And the the metformin basically, you know, is used as a ovulation inducing agent for people uh-huh. because the you stop uh, basically when you make a protein from the pancreas, it's like a ticker tape, and there are splicing areas. Okay. And so whenever your pancreas ejects an insulin, it also injects something called insulin like growth factor. Okay. And this is is a really important growth factor when you're a child and going through puberty and things like that. But as we age, lots of that make us grow in the wrong direction. Right, okay. Yeah. And so that's, so if your insulin is lasting a little bit longer for your, you know, imperfect diet, you're not making all that extra insulin-like growth hormone, which can mess up the sex hormone Okay. Um, like cascade. as well. Okay. Yes, <laughs> cool. Exactly. Okay. So they are linked. So even if we're talking about, you know, balancing hormones as it pertains to like female sex hormones, menstrual health, these other ones can sometimes be a factor as well. Yes. Okay. So this is good to know just for context that this is a pretty broad and as you probably have gathered from this talk, very intricate topic that is really hard to address in a 30 second to three minute video on social media. Important context to have as you scroll through. I'm just putting that out there. And it's also very hard for a physician to convey this kind of information in a short appointment. In a short appointment. Yeah. What's your average appointment time? Well, you know, I'm special. (laughs) I know. I'm like, (laughs) it's an hour with me. (laughs) I like coming to you with like a notebook of questions. (laughs) They're supposed to be 15 or 20 minutes. Right. But I don't like that pace. Yeah. So I do do more like half hour appointments. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for always going over time with me. (laughs) Well, this is how we ended up having this kind of conversation and why I want to share your wealth of knowledge with everyone else. You've helped me understand kind of the basics of those female sex hormones. Could we maybe like break down a little bit of like, okay, estrogen's basic function is blank and progesterone kind of does blank. I know that's very, very dumbed down. Oh, golly. Yeah, no. I mean, they do so, so much. So many things. Like estrogen. Okay. You know, should we talk about bones? You know, they're okay. absolutely, men and women have estrogen yeah. for bone health. And we all have testosterone, which technically is considered a male sex hormone, but we're all working with it. Yeah. Yeah, we have women have much much lower levels of it. Right. But going back to bone health, you know, yeah. a man who doesn't have a estrogen has an estrogen receptor problem will have osteoporosis and mental retardation. Wow. So okay. <laughs> they need estrogen yeah. in little amounts, yeah. you know. So bones. Um, the estrogens are obviously important for, you know, changing, living. <laughs> changing our, you know, uh, changing, you know, giving us breasts and uh, secondary sex characteristics. Right. And it's very important. It's it's the happier of the two female hormones. Okay. Um, you know, if you think about the days after your period is over, that's usually the the great days, and that's pretty much very you know estrogen dom you know very low levels of estrogen, but just the best kind of days for most women. Okay. Very little progesterone at that time. Okay. And then as you know, a, you know about fourteen days after your period has started, a woman who's ovulating normally will have a LH surge. Okay. Um, the That's pituitary, the yeah, Uh-huh, exactly. Okay, okay. The pituitary makes that peptide hormone. There are sort of hormone sensors in, in the brain that sense, you know, certain level of estrogen, et cetera. And with that surge, which is what the ovulation predictor kits are essentially oh, looking at, okay. it makes the follicle uh, release the, the egg. egg. Okay. Then we become very, then progesterone uh, becomes the hormone that sort of predominates. Okay. The one at the wheel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's progestation. Progesterone. Oh, that makes so much sense now. I never thought about it that way. (laughs) So, what does progestation do? Well, it raises our body temperature slightly. Okay. Sort of stops us from having, uh, you know, we're starting to incubate something. It thickens the cervical mucus. You don't want any 
extra stuff going up into your reproductive, you know, now that you're, you know, in your progesterone side part of the cycle. Yeah. Okay. And it also slows down our GI motility, our gallbladder motility. So people are more oh. likely to have gallbladder attacks during this time of their cycle. Okay. They're they're also starting to PMS, oh. which is okay. the progesterone. So hormone. progesterone is the PMS one. Yes. That's why we don't like it as much. <laughs> we don't like it as much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I mean, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're coming from a very educated place on that topic. (laughs) It's also been given this in social media and also um, advertising and, you know, radio stations will be like, oh, use estrogen cream to balance your hormones. And Mm -hmm. it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I, I am not a fan of the topical progestins and I've, I've seen... You know, basically, you want to get the ovary to do the right thing for you. And that doesn't happen with a cream. It does not happen with a expensive cream Mm -hmm. that someone is making a lot of money off of that is not FDA approved. Right. So A very um, good warning. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and then what happens is if you're not pregnant— the the feedback loops going on in your ovary kind of poop out and you stop making all of the hormones and you kind of go through a hormone crash or withdrawal. Yeah. And um, then your cycle usually starts like 12 to 24 hours later. Okay. So the drop-off is right before menstruation. Yes. Okay. And it triggers the loss of that endometrium that the estrogen and progesterone create. Right. And the balance of estrogen and progesterone Progesterone, the endometrium, you know, um, the way to think of it is sort of like estrogen makes the the grass grow taller and taller and taller, and progesterone sort of weaves it and stabilizes it, um, helps it get, you know, what are called, you know, these glycogen uh, molecules that would be food for the okay. sperm as it heads on up, okay, um, and then be a, a good place for a pregnancy to land. And if you disrupt that, say with a birth control pill, where you're not having uh-huh. all those glycogen you know, and you're not having, you know, a thin mucus and, and things like that that would help you get pregnant. You're you're bypassing that. Okay. So. so that's how that works. So just random question about progesterone. Let's say like if someone does have a hormonal imbalance and they have really, really high progesterone levels, like higher than normal, would that indicate they have more PMS or like dysmenorrhea? It's... Uh, Difficult to say. Okay. We usually look at a good progesterone surge as a sign that everything is working well. Oh, okay. That's good to know. And for example, if I have a couple that's trying to get pregnant and Mm -hmm. I do a progesterone, you know, we have these cutoffs. If it's a progesterone in that second half of the cycle, usually about seven days after ovulation, we don't call it day 21, usually day 21 or day 23, sometime in there. If that level is over three, then you're very unlikely to grow like endometrial cancer or have problems. We consider that ovulatory. Okay. If you're trying to get pregnant, we sort of aim when we're stimulating things for something around the level of 13 to just even show us that that everything is working and sort of, you know, juiced up. Okay. When the levels are like 50, you know, the patient may already be pregnant or, Ah. you know, so that could be a good thing. So Um, you're looking at these levels and these numbers to kind of see like where the body's at, what what it's up to. Yeah, just like HCG levels when women are pregnant, you can kind of tell how far along things are by them. Okay. Um, And actually progesterone is, is one of those things that can tell us, you know, when it's an early pregnancy, if it's a normal pregnancy or possibly not normal, in other words, an ectopic or a miscarriage. Right. Interesting. Okay, so we've gone over like the two main ones, but there's also, well, I guess we talked a little bit about FSH and LH. Then there's also AMH, right? Anti-malarian? Yes. So I I kind of know when we look at that, but for anyone listening who's like, why is my doctor looking at my AMH? Boy, I wish more scientists were looking at AMH. Yeah. <laughs> so AMH is um, a really, really interesting hormone. Very important when we're looking at, basically, it's a surrogate for how many eggs you have. Okay. And very high levels can be an indicator of an ovarian tumor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a an ovarian cyst that's very weird looking or a tumor, that's sometimes one of the 
tumor markers, you know, is that hormone. Right. So we're born with a certain amount of eggs. Actually, you know, we've lost half of them by the time we're born. um, Crazy. We had in utero. And then we're losing about half of them again by the time we're in puberty. And they're basically... This hormone called antimalarian hormone is something that a cluster of cells in your ovary called a follicle make. So uh, a follicle is basically um, an egg um, that is sort of arrested in meiosis. And um, it is, it's like a Lightning McQueen. It's it's uh we were talking about race cars earlier. <laughs> yes. It's basically got the pit crew around it. Okay. Um m- helping it to be healthy. Cute. And that <laughs> that pit crew contains these granulosa cells. Okay. That theca cells and granulosa cells and the granulosa cells make this antimalarian hormone. And um if you have a lot of really healthy follicles, a lot of race cars, a lot of Lightning McQueens, and a lot of granulosa <laughs> cells that are healthy, you're going to have a nice AMH level. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the levels will be, you know, you know, 10. Um, and then as we age, that level goes down. Right. Um, other things can uh, adversely affect it temporarily. Um, and it used to be that absolutely we thought boy, you know, men have it so much better than us. They can just keep recreating their, you know... um, Their storage. (laughs) Their storage, and we're stuck with what we've got. Yeah. But there's been some data that there is some regeneration of the ovaries that can occur. Wow. um, That's hopeful. Which is very exciting. Yeah. And definitely women ask for this test. Um, It's part of the protocol before you do egg freezing. And in my opinion... um, it's a lot better to do egg freezing when your AMH is is at a higher level, you know, four or above, um, because that means you have lots of eggs. And in that $10,000 cycle that you're going to do, you're going to get a bunch of eggs. Yeah, you want to maximize You can get 20 it. of them, wow. right? Versus if you're, you wait till you're, you know, 36 and your AMH is two, maybe you'll get three or four eggs that will be possible to, you know, right. and, then, and then it's not just the quantity is low, but the quality, quality. goes down right. as we age. So the AMH is a really fascinating hormone. It's also an indirect marker in polycystic ovary syndrome. Right. It's not part of this Rotterdam criteria about PCO that mm-hmm. basically like, oh, do you have uh, excess testosterone, you know, acne and right. uh, hair growth and things well, like this that. This is actually a good time to bring it up because it is something that I wanted to ask you. Polycystic ovarian syndrome, polycystic ovary syndrome affects as many as 12% of women in the United States, according to a stat I read recently. Has that been an increase? Are you seeing more people come into your office with uh, PCOS or is this just we're getting better at identifying this imbalance in women? You know, I, I'm not sure about if there, like if it's more common. I think diagnostic it, increase. certainly uh, it is a piece of the puzzle in the obesity epidemic. Okay. And it is... Um, so with that getting worse, I would assume that yes, increasing uh, numbers. But it's 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 hard to know. It's is it like um, just a is it a problem itself or is it a marker of something? Like, is it a deeper? symptom? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting because then there are patients who may not have any issues with weight who come in and are diagnosed with the same thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about. What is polycystic ovarian syndrome? This is a really another popular topic about hormonal balances. That Rotterdam criteria you were talking about, the markers, how can someone identify this or, you know, consider that they might want to go see a doctor for a diagnosis? Um, yeah, so the, the, the biggest two criteria are um, basically, your we call it oligomenorrhea or infrequent menses. So if you are having cycles that are lasting more than 35 days, then that is telling us that your ovary is not doing a great job of releasing an egg that month. Right. Okay. Um, and then the other um, cue is the hyper, is hyperandrogenism or basically having um, signs of too much testosterone-like compounds. So that would be things like acne and um, coarse hair. And, um, you know, for some women, um, you know, they can be much more severe, you know, 
deepening of the voice and even things like clitoromegaly. So, um, you know, that's, that is a rare, you know, extreme of the hyperandrogenism. But, um, you know, if a woman comes into the office and she's not having, you know, a regular cycle like that, Mm -hmm. um, we'll look at her thyroid hormone because that's really important. Again, back to more hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a peptide hormone um, made, well, the TSH is what we're testing. We're looking at actually not the the hormones itself usually. We're looking at the proxy for it, which is um, how hungry is the brain for the thyroid hormone. Ah. And so if your um, brain is very hungry for thyroid hormone and your thyroid glands are not making it because of inflammation or, um, you know, other reasons. Insulin resistance? No. yeah, no, it's it's usually an uh, it's it's usually an autoimmune thing. The okay, thyroid so is the is a super duper sensitive um, organ organ yeah. for the for autoimmune stuff. Okay, and it, it is the most common you know autoimmune issue for women. Wow, um, and that's you know why we start checking for it when women get you know early perimenopausal and menopausal. Interesting. Okay, um, so um, then the other thing we think of if it's not. For if it's not a thyroid issue, is the polycystic ovary syndrome. Okay. So it's like the second thing on the list when someone comes in and is like, I'm not good. (laughs) I mean, in some ways, the thyroid hormone is a lot easier. It's like, oh, okay, you know, here's some thyroid hormone. Yeah. You know, but for PCO, it's a little more difficult because, um, you know, there's, it's not, you know, necessarily, it, because it's not correlated with immediate bad effects um, uh, okay. the way that the thyroid deficiencies right. are. It's a little more subversive. It's, yeah. It, okay. It, and, um, and some people say like, ugh, it's, you know, people grow out of it. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so, yeah. you know. Well, it also presents symptoms in different ways, right? Like not every patient will present with the same condition in the same way. Like we were talking about how you can present with weight issues, but you could also present with zero weight issues. Does that make it more difficult to diagnose? Yeah, um, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, you know, again, the the weight thing, it's hard. It's not, a, it's not a social judgment or anything. Right, right. That's an important thing. And so note. it's really, it's a delicate thing to, you know, discuss with people and and some people, you know, have this assumption that PCO can only happen if you're overweight and that's not true. As we both know. (laughs) Um, Something I tell people about, you know, and, and, and often when they, when those symptoms present and we do some lab work that's suggestive of it. And and one of the big things that's suggestive of it is that we call it the LH-FSH ratio. Okay. And um, so if you're LH, um, you know, at, at the beginning of your cycle is a lot higher than your FSH two or three times the number because they really should be about the same. They should be like 10 and 10. But okay. if like one is, you know, 20 and the other is 10, then that's sort of like, you know, um, raising your eyebrows like, Red wait flag. a second. <laughs> yeah, there's something going on, you know, in the hypothalamus pituitary that's that's making the ovary not behave properly. Right. And... The, as I alluded to before, you can sort of grow out of it. A lot of these women are not going to be terribly fertile in their 20s, especially untreated. But when they get into their, you know, late 20s and 30s, a lot of times we'll do an AMH test and they have a very nice high AMH. So IVF, they're going to have eggs for that. That's really exciting. So, you know, I joke, you're you're banking your own eggs. You know? <laughs> you got it's your not own, the worst thing in the your world. Your own freezer in your, <laughs> in your body. That's, uh, that's actually really hopeful information because I think until recently, women diagnosed with PCOS lived in fear that they could never have families. They could never have, I mean, naturally conceive a child. Mm-hmm. So to to hear that, you know, maybe waiting a little bit longer might be to your benefit is, is really wonderful news. Yeah. So, we're fine. Yeah, we're fine. This is fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. So that's one of the more common, I would say, talked about hormonal imbalances on social media. And I bring this up to you because there is the trend of people trying to balance their hormones at home. Have you heard of this? Is this brand new information to you? 
I I guess it's kind of brand new. I don't know how they would know other than having a nice regular cycle right. off the pill. Yeah. My question exactly, because I'm thinking which is high and which is low and how do you know and how do you rebalance? And I guess if you're getting constant blood work, you have that information. But uh, from your perspective, is there anything you can do lifestyle-wise to get your hormones into the delicate balance, how they're supposed to be? Yeah. You know, it's just like what grandma said, you know, <laughs> don't snack and, okay. um, you know, because a lot of it has to do with how our, our brain is, you know, the, you know, the hypothalamus and the brain stress can, can yeah. play a part in a lot of what goes on, you know, health-wise. I'm glad you brought up stress management because I think that is, in general, a great health tip. Yeah. But knowing— Oh, for balancing hormones. Yeah, you know, it's like eating clean. It's it's not right. really a, a medical term right. that we do in medical, you know, in yeah. medical school and whatnot, but it is a social media sensation. Right. And um, it, you know, leads— people down different paths. Right, because it is so broad. It's so vague. Yeah. Like, what does it even mean? And I think finally there is some kind of pushback against it culturally. Like, hey, like don't say that like foods are clean because that implies like what I'm eating is dirty or whatever. It's like a morally ambiguous kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. I think if I could have, you know, my Ballywick, it would be about balancing insulin. That okay. That is the most important thing, I think, for having everything else Fall your, into place. your immune system, everything else fall into place. Wow, this is good um, advice. And so I think the the you know diet plays an important role. The way that we stress eat, uh, emotionally eat, how eating fulfills all this dopamine that right. we're like totally having surges of like never before right. with all the social media. And Starving for else. dopamine all the time. I get the question all the time like, oh, will you check my hormones? And people are on the pill or, mm -hmm. or things like that. And it's like, well, you know, I can, there are certain things I can check, um, you know, but Sex hormones you cannot check when someone's on oral contraceptives. Interesting. Um, it's, what, it's what about pointless. the other kinds, like the in the arm? The IUD? The, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, it it's kind of pointless because okay. the the way that the hormonal contraception works is to sort of put the ovary on ice. Right. Okay. So um, inherently, when you're on hormonal contraception, which is wonderful, um, you know. I've I've said many times if I would I wish I was you know if I was Surgeon General I would ask all women to use oral contraceptives for two years, you know because it would half their lifetime risk of uterine cancer and wow. ovarian cancer, and you know it would um, rest the ovaries a little bit, and um, you know I I I do think it's a net positive especially when used in women in a young age when you know especially when they're the most fertile and are the least wanting to conceive. Right. I think that, <laughs> yeah. that would be a good thing. Um, but, um, you know, as wonderful as the pill is, uh, it inherently unbalances hormones. Right. And one of the big ones that it unbalances that we don't like to talk about so much is testosterone. Mm -hmm. um, testosterone levels are, um, if, you, if you ever use the pill, they will be changed forever. Interesting. And okay. um, it has to do with um, something called sex hormone binding globulin, which is okay. a binding hormone made in the liver. Um, you know, and uh, so a lot of women, when they want to balance their hormones, they'll come off the pill. Right. Um, they'll take, quote unquote, a pill vacation or mm -hmm. they'll use a copper IUD or something that's not hormonal, a diaphragm, um, condoms. Yeah. And lots uh, of alternatives. <laughs> lots and lots of alternatives. Right. Um, and that, so that is, you know, a number one way to, if you want to see what's going on with your sex right. hormones and with your fertility is to, you know, is to try off of, okay. off of the, the chemicals that are, they definitely have their place. Um, but they're uh, giving you a false read. They're, they can give you a false read if that's what you're really interested in finding okay. out. Okay. So let's yeah. say that a patient comes to you, they have a hormonal imbalance whether it's PCOS or something similar. I don't know if there's something similar. I'm just kind of <laughs> keeping it broad. And they do want to figure out how to balance their hormones. First step, you would say, if they're on any kind of hormonal contraceptive, would be to come off of that. 
I mean, again, it's an individual right. thing. And this is not medical advice. And <laughs> this is not medical advice. Exactly. There's a, a psychological component as well mm-hmm. to that cycle we were talking about and the PMS right. and uh, the estrogen. Right. For many women, uh, the pill is sort of a lifesaver as far as um, emotional health and, health, you right. know, um, will keep them, you know, not needing to use, you know, Prozac or... Antidepressants exactly. and anxiolytics, Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, because it evens, you know, having steady state levels of those sex hormones can right. be um, good for some people's brains. Right, right, right. Okay. So, if you're not making those hormones, this is another potential benefit of hormonal contraceptives, birth control pills. They can help you with your mental and emotional well-being, which is not something I think we talk about a lot. Yeah. And so, if you are coming off and taking a pill vacation and trying to balance your hormones naturally, bank for that plan to potentially have your mental and emotional well-being disrupted. That's a, a symptom of well withdrawal, said. right? Like that's not, yes. I don't think people talk about this. Yes, or acne. Oh my gosh, yeah, I had skin. a quarter for every woman who says like, oh my God, I think the pill ruined my skin because when I went off of it all right. of a sudden, and uh, you know, I, 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 um, it's, it's not the pill was ruining your skin. It's the withdrawal. The, the pill, yes, the pill was saving your skin from scars. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But, you know, that being said, I think it, it's it's absolutely fine to not take the pill for a few months right. or, you know, even a year. You can, you know, again, our cycle goes month to month. And so, you know, we certainly don't want women having accidental pregnancies. Right. And so, you know, the message is to communicate with your partner about what you're doing to be as careful as possible if that's your yep. goal. Um, but I think if you are interested in balancing your hormones and finding out what's going on with your testosterone, right? Um, one of the other things that's recently gotten some, you know, more traction in the news has to do with um, athletics and the pill um, and that... Um, Muscle mass is different if you've been on, you know, and what you'll attain um, oh, will be different. Okay, because because of probably because of the lower testosterone levels, right? Um, uh, while you're on the pill, so there are a lot of pros and cons. Absolutely, right, and just stuff to keep in mind. Informed consent, I think, is really important. Talk to your doctor and ask. You know, if someone is coming to a doctor with no health literacy, and that's not to say you're not smart, you just don't have a medical background, try to ask as many questions like, what are the pros and cons? How will this affect me if I decide to not take this or have this in my body one day? Like, these are really important things, especially if you are concerned with hormonal balancing. And we just brought up something like, if you are going to come off of some kind of hormonal medication, you're going to have to expect a withdrawal period. It's going to affect your skin. It's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect your period. And then you're going to want to go into some blood work and other things like lifestyle changes, perhaps. So it's not like a, I don't know, black and white, super easy, cut and dry thing. This is a process. And it's probably really important to have a doctor supporting you, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, um, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> well, women are usually pretty good about getting in to see their doctor regularly. Which That's is true. It's like much better than men. Pulling teeth with my male counterparts usually to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Which is so interesting. They don't believe in the preventative maintenance. Yeah. Women are really proactive in, in that way. I mean, look at the wellness industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another well, topic. Well, we're, we're the perfect consumers. What, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. We're the ones who are in the households, the ones responsible for all the buying yeah. decisions, the brands, and everything Which else. is how we get to, oh, I'll buy that estrogen cream. Oops. <laughs> so that's why we're having this talk. We want to make sure that you are more health literate, more science literate. You feel more empowered and equipped. You can go into a doctor's office with your questions, have the informed consent, and feel a little bit more in control of your health. Dr. Marshall, this was such an important talk. Thank you for sharing this. Is there anything else that you wish more of your patients knew about their hormonal health, birth control, menstrual health? That's a great question. <laughs> so broad, too. <laughs> it's very broad. Um, and, uh, yeah, I I the I don't have a That's perfect cool. answer for that. <laughs> Everything's evolving, you know, and as far as, you know, 
recommendations of how often you see your doctor and, you know, um, you know, there's been a huge sea change with, you know, COVID and whatnot. Yeah. But um, I do think it's important to have um, a well-credentialed uh, person on on your side. I think um, it it uh, it's unfortunate that physicians are more and more um, limited in how much time we can spend with a patient, and um, and 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 still get through the day. Um, and then I, I see people not getting the answers that they need or think that they want. And um, sometimes, you know, um, going to less educated um, alternative sources, alternative sources right. and, and then being led astray. Um, and so I think it is important to have a, a good relationship with with, um, I mean, I believe in complementary alternative medicine, absolutely. But I do think it's good to have um, your feet on the ground and, and your team have, captain to have, yeah, exactly, someone to. And then I highly recommend when you do see them that you have written out your questions ahead of time. Um, you know, you can even hand it to them so they can read it while you're talking to them because it it is it is um, it it's difficult. I try to have empathy for my own healthcare providers and, you know, just understand that not every question can be answered and that a lot of times the answer is very simple that they'll give you simply because of time constraints. Right. That's so hard. Well, this is really good context. Thank you again. So there you have it, folks. In our next episode together, we're going to talk about hormonal birth control, the treatment of different gynecological and hormonal conditions, cycle syncing workouts, fertility, and postpartum changes. If those topics are of interest to you, hit the subscribe button, sign up for notifications, and we'll give you a little push when that episode is locked and loaded for you. Until then, thank you so much for being here with us. I hope you learned a lot, feel a little more hopeful about your health, and have some tools to take better care of yourself. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on right now. And if you have a topic request, question, or want to learn more about something, send us an email at imfine at thisisfinepodcast.com. All right, go spread your magic, you beautiful humans. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of This Is Fine. I've been your host, Dominique Michelle Astorino. We're based in San Diego, recording in studio at DLI Productions in Pacific Beach with Emmy Award-winning sound designer Dan De La Isla. This is a comedy and advice podcast, but for legal reasons, this entire podcast is a joke and none of it is medical advice. To download the transcript or learn more, visit thisisfinepodcast.com. 